Okay, so it's uh, 11.45, and I've got a 35-minute sermon. <laughs> yeah, Rick's the only one to say that. Dude over there is thinking, no, please, no. <laughs> Today's the Daytona 500. I'll get it at home, man. All right, so we're going to blow through this bad boy because there's some really cool stuff found and buried in the story inside of this story. So for a few weeks, we've been in this uh, series, uh, the story inside the story, and the whole thing is built around the parables that Jesus teaches. Now, what we know about the parables is that Jesus is always speaking to a specific audience, and Jesus is taking this earthly and tangible way that they can connect to its meaning, but it always has this heavenly and eternal perspective. So today, we're talking about a, a parable that Jesus is speaking and is found in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, beginning of verse 9. Now, Luke, as you remember, Luke wasn't at the places like John was, so he wasn't writing firsthand. Luke came back and he interviewed people that were, and when he interviewed them and find out, finds out what they knew, then he crafts his letter. This is part, partly how wonderful that Luke writes. So in Luke 18, it starts off in the very first sentence, says in verse 9, to some who were confident of their own self-righteousness or own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So this is really key. This is the first step to the story inside the story. So the very first letter says, this is who Jesus is speaking to. So what happens is Luke writes the first sentence and he makes clear that you and I here in 2018, we know who he's talking to. Because if you know who he's talking to, you can understand the why he's saying what he is. So he's talking to people that clearly he's saying that you have considered yourself self-righteous. You, you are better than the rest of us, and you look at all the rest of us with contempt because you are really spiritual. You are special. You don't really pray to God, which you're about to see. And so he's speaking to a group of people that were hotty-totty church people. You, does, that, does that clean it up enough? I mean, haven't y'all ever known hotty-totty church people? I mean, they kind of look down your nose if you don't dress the right way, if you don't give the right way, you don't talk the right way, you know, all that kind of thing. They just look at you with a like a holy glare. I mean, growing up, I could, see kid, I could see kids like me. We were scared to death of the holy glare. You know, it's like, kind of that kind of thing. And that look said to me, wow, he's spiritual. That guy's a big deal. As I grew older, I realized he wasn't a big deal. He just made weird eye movements, right? <laughs> so in the middle of this, we know who Jesus is talking to. And then in verse 10, he says, he starts the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like those other people, robbers and evildoers or adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So now we're gonna see the contrast in the story. The first guy that Jesus talks about has come to the temple and there at the temple he's supposed to be at the time of prayer but his prayer really isn't to God his prayer is a public statement which kind of asks the question why was he there why did he go to the temple if he was a big deal why did he go to the temple to say those things because he was the guy that comes to church so that everybody would know he looks like a believer He's the picture of the guy who comes because religion is a part of what you do on Sunday. He's the guy that comes to church and is mad because we sing that kind of music. Or he's, 
He's angry that we don't have pews, or, or he's ticked off because we don't use hymnals, or, or he's the kind of guy that wants his own parking place because he gives more than everybody else does. Are you getting the picture with me? If so, say yes. yes. Okay, so third of you. So can we try it one more time? If, I, if, if I'm connecting with you, say yes. yes. Thank you. Would you talk back to me some during the sermon? It really helps. I mean, say thank you. Yeah, whoop. So, yeah. I had pastors calling me this week saying, what in the world is up with the whoop? I said, we're special. And then, <laughs> and then I said, really special. So, so he goes on to the rest of the story, and he says, after this guy has got up and pontificated, he didn't really pray. He came to tell everybody how good he was. Now, the second dude in verse 13 says, but the tax collector, now remember, he's talking to hoity-toities, and over here, the tax collector, other side of the temple, and he's saying, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, and this is what Jesus says, I tell you that this man, and he's pointing to the tax collector. Now get this in your mind, he is saying, this guy, this tax collector, but this dude, here's what he says. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't look up to heaven. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. If you've got something to make a note on, if you're on a, on a phone or a tablet, highlight it. If you've got a Bible, underline it. This is the word. Are you ready? This is where the story inside the story all connects. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the story inside of this story says on the outset, this is a teaching about prayer. But I don't think it's really a teaching about prayer. I think it's a teaching about salvation. I believe this is a picture of what happens in our life in the belief that our prayers and how we vocalize and how we chat with God, I believe is a real indicator of the depth of what we believe God to be or not believe. So you see, the, the Pharisee came and he believed he was there not for justification, he was there to tell everybody how good he was, to show everyone how good he was. He was there to make a spectacle of himself. But the tax collector, that was the guy that was wicked and evil. Now, to get the picture, I know you know this, so just for the handful of us that may not, that the tax collector was truly hated in that time. And here's why. He was a Jewish person, a Jewish man, that worked as, as, as someone that colluded, there's an interesting term for these days, with the Roman Empire. And he was in charge of collecting the taxes from all of the people, the Jewish people. But here was the deal. He not only would collect what he was supposed to, he would collect what he was supposed to and what he wanted as well. And nobody governed that. Nobody kept up with that. So every person would walk across the street or look out their window. They would do everything they could to avoid this dude because the tax collector was an evil human being. But remember, our prayers are an outward description of what we believe inside about God. If your prayers are like this Pharisee, then what you know is you're you're not really praying. You're you're just contributing to the world how good you are. But on this hand, this guy prayed. You say, well, Chuck, how do I know all of that to be true? Well, the story inside of this story being salvation hangs on that one word, 
justification. The man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So Jesus not only puts in this contrast, here's, here's the Pharisee and here's the tax collector. Not only does he put that in space, what he's saying is here is evil and here is good. Here is bad. Here is love. Jesus is pointing out, but now here's the thing that I think makes the story about salvation because he says that this person who prayed so earnestly opened up his heart and these words that stuck with him inside the story was the fact that he knew he needed God. Now the Pharisee, on the other hand, all he needed to fuel him was religion. All he needed was a building and a denomination and authority and 600 plus rules. His job was to bust you when you didn't do with those. Over here, here was a guy that had be, made himself wealthy who had cheated and stolen and everything you could imagine. But he came and he had to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, the, the front and the back of that statement is what is so critical. Because, you see, he is saying from the outset, God, I need you. God, I, I'm fully admitting what I am and what I've done. And at the end, God, I want you to have mercy on me. It's kind of the picture that when he says this, when he says at the end of that verse, he says, I'm a sinner. He's not just saying, hey, I've sinned, but I'm a pretty good person. What he's saying in the original text is this, I'm like a super sinner. I'm like number one center. I'm the center that's the center of all centers. And he comes, and the, and the scripture says he can't even look up to heaven because he's so brokenhearted. I get the picture of a guy who the night before came up with this wonderful story that he wanted to tell Jesus about. But when he got there, he had this radical need for more of God. And God, at that moment, in the story Jesus is telling it, is that once again, and in every gospel, it is about the heart. It's not about how you look as a Christian. It's how you open your heart to be a Christian. It's not how you prepare yourself. It's not the car you live in or the neighborhood you live in. It's the fact that you've opened your heart up and you use this, this verbiage, God, I need you, and ends with, I'm a sinner. In the middle, it says, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, this is justification. Now, when, when we preacher types use terms like justification, most people hear that and like, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. And inside you're thinking, I have no idea what that is. Because we, these are not the terms that we run around using. So let me, let me, let me kind of take a, a perspective on this and say, justification is a, a word that makes you right in front of who you've wronged. Are you with me? So it's like an acquittal. So it, here's, here's kind of looks. Hey, Ron Mikulski, stand up. Yeah, turn around, show that bald, bald head off, bro. He's a good looking dude right there. Yeah, so now Ron, let's just say Ron is a filthy, nasty cheater, just the worst of humanity. You're just scum of the earth, Ron. You got it, right? Okay, good, good job. Keep wearing that. I think that should be good. Dr. Gresham, you over there, is that who I see? Yeah, come on over here. Come here. I, did, I love picking on you more than anything. And now that Hector's gone, I got to have a new target. It's you, baby. All right. So now, then we got the Pharisee. <laughs> so the Pharisee, the Pharisee, he's come to tell everybody, listen, I'm so glad I'm not as bad as that guy. Now, here's what you need to know. 
I think sometimes we, we put too much on the Pharisee because at the end of the day, he, he did everything he thought he could do to be a good man. At the end of the day, he, he thought what he was trying to do was going to be the right thing because rules and laws and all of those things keep us in line. I got it. But over here, the tax collector, he knows he's guilty. He's in front of the judge. And the whole world knows you are an awful human being. You're not as good as that guy. Not only that, you don't even come close to being as good as that guy. But in the court of God's law, because Jesus came and had given his life on a cross and shed his blood that you might have forgiveness of sin, the judge looks at you and says, Ron, we all know you're guilty. We all know you've done this, but you're acquitted. You're a free man. Walk out of here and go live your life as you should because you've not only been forgiven, you've been acquitted. You have been justified by God. Now watch this. Now watch this. You might say, is there really enough of God's love, Jesus' forgiveness, and the Spirit's ability to convict? Is there enough of all that for the scumbag you say, yeah, we clap about that. But the other question is, is there enough of that for the Pharisee? Absolutely, yes. You say, but wait a minute. I thought the parable was about how these fellows prayed. No. The parable is about which one of these got justified. Now watch this. The third question is, if there's enough love for that guy and enough love for that guy, is there enough of that left for me? You see, here's what's beautiful. Jesus in the story gives us the picture that you went home a brand new man. You went home knowing that one day your home would be in heaven. You would go home justified. You weren't guilty anymore. And God had thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west because there's a stop to north and south. He threw it out there where it could never come back. And he said, you have been justified. Now watch this. This Pharisee might tomorrow morning show at the temple and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner and I need you. Now watch this. That same love that saved here is the same love that will save here. Thank you all so much. But now watch this. What about you? Did you come to church this morning because you just couldn't handle it if you, if you didn't go with your spouse and it just was a fight? Are you here this morning because your, your kids like the stuff we do in kids' ministry and student ministry? Or are you here today because you promised your mom you'd stop, start going back to church? See, I, I think at times we have to stop and ask ourselves, am I guilty? Have I broken God's rules? Or am I perfect? Now, I'd be willing to say that Everybody in this room, starting with me, we're guilty. And we're in need of a Savior because we're sinners. We're, just, we're not perfect. Our thought life and our activity and everything forgot that the clue to the story inside the story was that we needed to be justified. We needed to know that this is what happens. We get acquitted. We get to become free. We get to be forgiven. All those things happen when a sinner in need of a Savior meets God. And that's how we know the tax collector knew God. To know God as creator and sustainer is to know ourselves as his children, as his servants, 
To know God in, in his holiness is to know ourselves as sinners in need of a savior. To know him and know he is both the definition and the very act of love is to see ourselves as loved yet unlovely. To seek God's wisdom is to see our own foolishness in spiritual things. Since God is the only standard by which any of these things can be measured, we don't know anything properly unless we know him. Nothing. Anything good that I offer this world is because of the work of God within my heart. Because it's nothing I could do. But you see, the Pharisee missed that point. Is there hope for the tax collector? Yes. Is there hope for the Pharisee? Yes. Is there hope for you? Absolutely. The Sarah Pharisee began his prayer with God, but he wasn't praying to God. Because he didn't see himself as a sinner, he saw himself as better than others. But now the tax collector, the numero uno sinner, he came to church and he had a reason. I need to be justified. I need to be justified before God. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was the best of his people and one was the worst. One gave freely twice what the law commanded and one extorted twice what the law allowed. One fasted and one feasted. Watch this. One lived in abstinence, one lived in opulence. One thanked God that he was a good man, the other couldn't do anything but beg God for forgiveness. You see, it's all about the heart. Jesus made a point of saying, you can go home justified. The greatest story inside the story is that the divine has more than enough love for all of us. It is never-ending never failing, never ceasing. His love is enough. His love is all we need. We don't need a denomination. We don't need a pass-through person. All we need is all he has for us, and it is free for the asking. You see, the Word of God says that if you want Jesus, all you have to do is ask for Jesus. He's not going to force himself on you because then it wouldn't be love. If, if I were forced to marry Jenny, it wouldn't be love. I'm married to Jenny because I love her. I'm with her because I love her. I do things with her because I love her. When I do all those things, we are affirmed together. And in the midst of that, this is what God is saying to this tax collector. He's saying, you can do this. If there's any message that I want you to know about the story inside the story, it's this one thing, that Jesus is pulling for you, that he is praying for you. Right now, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and he's saying, okay, are you going to live as the Pharisee, or are you going to live as the tax collector? Are you going to be full of you, or are you going to be full of me? Because you can do this. The divine has more than enough love for you. And you say, but Chuck, you don't know what my past has been. I don't have to. Because I know the one that will throw that as far as the east is from the west. But Chuck, you don't know what I've done. Don't have to. I know what he can do. But Chuck, you're saying I have to change. No, I'm not. I'm saying all you gotta do is let him change you. And then you say, but Chuck, that sounds too easy. I know it. You can do this. So I guess the question would be, why wouldn't you? I mean, if, it, if it's free for the asking, if there's more than enough love to deliver, friend, dear friend, there's more than enough for all of you to be justified. You can do this. 
You can be acquitted today. You can do this. Let's pray. Lord, we're keenly aware that you are the creator and sustainer of all life. God, we are aware that your son, you sent to this filthy earth for the purpose of giving us justification, that we might be justified before you, God. Knowing that the only way that we could have that acquittal, the only way that we could receive that just was through Jesus, your son. He said that we can't get to you without him, but he also said that all of us can get to him and to you. God, I believe there are men and women, students in this room and watching online that would say, Chuck, I, I want to be justified once and for all. Maybe I, I walked an aisle as a kid or maybe as a student I got caught up in an emotion, but I want to settle it right now. I want my heart to feel like Christie's was when she came out of that baptistry. I want a clean heart before you, God. So right now, if that's the desire, if that's what you want in your life, just quietly and stilly in your life, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. And I've sinned before you. Jesus, come into my life. I need a new life. I need a new heart. I need a new start. I want to thank you that you died for me. You rose from the dead for me. And you're creating a home in heaven for me. Because you already did everything I needed. So Jesus, I just want to take my life and I want to do a U-turn and I want to live for you. I want to walk for you. I want to trust in you. I want to rest in you. I want everything that you have for me. I want it all. God, I want to be the tax collector, not the Pharisee. But if I am the Pharisee, God, I want all that you have. Oh, my friend, you can do this. I never do this, folks. I never do this. But with heads bowed, with eyes closed, I, I don't want to make today easy on you, which is usually the opposite of what we do. So if today your prayer is, Chuck, I may not even understand it, but I, I want to ask Jesus into my life, and I just did it, and I meant it, and I know it. I wouldn't call you front. I wouldn't embarrass you. I wouldn't call your name. I wouldn't call you out for anything in the world. But I, don't, I also know that Jesus died in public for you. He gave his life in public for you. He raised from the dead in public, and he spent 40 days proving it. So today, if you, you say, Chuck, I, that's what I want, or that's what I've just done, I just want you to stand up. Nobody's looking around. Just stand up. Make it easy. Just stand up. Yeah, Chuck, that's what, I, that's what I'm doing. That's what I did. That's what I need. Just stand up. And nobody's going to laugh at you. No way. Yeah. 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 Come on, man. Yeah. This is good. Father, you are God of all creation. And these seven or eight folks that stood, God, would you give them strength to choose to walk with you, to trust you, to follow believers' baptism, with you. God, light their life up with your presence and your joy and overflow them with your love. So we trust you that we are free, 
we are free indeed in your power in your life and we pray all those things in the name of Jesus our King amen amen and amen come on church that's worthy of some worship come on church